This podcast was produced and recorded in the studios of Cairns FM 89.1. This is The Evolution of Intimacy with Ella Shannon, a show about sex, relationships, and everything in between. You can start to feel bliss while you're vacuuming. I don't know if I've tried that or not. Do I want to try it? What is it? Very complex, very interesting. Flogging, whipping, caning. So there I was in my high heels and my little dress. So it is purely a stigma. Healthy sexual expression with other humans. I went to the local women's health centre and went, I think I'm a lesbian, is there a support group? They don't know quite how to talk about it. It's actually a core skill in relationships. That has always worked for me. My guest today is Pablo Navarro, who's a counselling psychologist and an accredited psychosocial therapist. Welcome, Pablo. Uh, Thank you very much, Ella. Uh, Pleasure to be here today. Our topic is gender diversity. Let's start with the premise that gender is not binary and there are many ways to identify besides male or female. For people who are new to this concept, could you please share a bit about some of the diverse ways that people might identify? So let me answer this, uh, I guess, by touching on some important concepts for people unfamiliar with it. There's a foundational concept here that sex is different from gender and that our biological sex characteristics, which are like external genitals, gonads, hormones and chromosomes are very different from gender which refers to identity, behaviours, presentation, norms and roles that we culturally associate with masculinity, femininity, androgyny or neither. Some of the confusion about this begins when we're born since a doctor or nurse typically looks at our our genitals for clues about biological sex characteristics. If they see a penis they might conclude a person has a typical male body and then assigns the sex male and infers the gender boy and and vice versa. If they see a vulva they might conclude a typical female body and assign sex female and gender girl. You can see that there's a lot of assumption made at birth as to what our body will look like and how we'll come to identify. We use this term gender binary to refer to the belief that there's only two genders, which is man and woman. However, we know that there's a tremendous amount of variation in in sex and gender, certainly like about 1.7% of our population is intersex, which means that their body is different to what's expected of a typical male or female body, and up to 2% is gender diverse, meaning that they identify with a gender different to what we would expect based on their sex assigned at birth. In terms of gender, a variety of identities, we can be cisgender, which means that our gender aligns with our sex assigned at birth. We can be transgender, which means that our gender does not align with our sex assigned at birth. We can be non-binary, which means that our gender falls outside of the gender binary. So this can be being a third gender in some cultures or having characteristics of more than one gender. We can be no gender or agender, which means that we don't identify with, with any gender that's recognized. Or we can be gender fluid, which means that our gender identity fluctuates and many other wonderful gender identities and on the spectrum. How does this relate to sexual identity? Is it the same or different? very different. So they're they're two very different things. So certainly sexual identity can relate to who we're sexually attracted to and who we're romantically attracted to in intimate partner relationships with people. Whereas gender basically relates to those sort of norms, those behaviours, that sense of identity and the roles that we take on in our social and cultural environment. We shouldn't assume that just because they're a different gender that they're going to necessarily be 
heterosexual or, or homosexual. And you can be any gender and any sexuality. The combinations are, are limitless. What are some of the struggles that people who are gender diverse might experience, Pablo? There's many struggles that gender diverse people face, unfortunately, which is largely a result of cisnormative culture. Cisnormative culture refers to this belief that everyone around us is cisgender. That is, that the sex and gender of everyone around us is congruent in some way. Because of this problematic belief, the struggles are several fold for, for this community. On one level, we've got representation. This means that you're less likely to see trans and gender diverse people represented in media because they're not considered the norm. And even if they are, they're likely to be depicted in very stereotypical ways that create harmful narratives about the kinds of people that they are. Historical narratives have been about being mentally unwell or dangerous in some way. This does lead to an increase in discrimination against this community. It also means that trans and gender diverse people, children in particular, have fewer positive role models to relate to that can help them navigate the challenges as they're growing up and feeling like alone and different to others around them. If we extend to research, it means that if we're only offering binary gender options in population research, for example, we don't get a good understanding of gender diversity in the population, which means that it reduces the efforts we put into things like research, education, advocacy, policy and healthcare, which of course has a negative impact on health, well-being, opportunities that gender diverse people have. But at another level, it impacts on um, safety and well-being. Trans and gender diverse people often experience a host of micro aggressions from people, which are these subtle forms of intentional or unintentional comments or behaviours that are hurtful for them. Some include things like dead naming, which basically means calling the person by their birth name when you are aware that they have another name that they prefer to use. Misgendering, which is this idea of using a person's incorrect pronouns when you're aware of the pronouns that they do use. Intrusive curiosity about them, derogatory transphobic language, stereotyping, all these kinds of things are considered microaggression. You are listening to The Evolution of Intimacy with me, Alice Shannon, a show about sex, relationships, and everything in between. Most of us have not been encouraged or taught how to talk about sex. They are curious. Hang on a sec, I'm a woman, like, I have needs now. Whole new level of sensation and pleasure. I looked at my yoni before and after and I was like, oh my God. You may experience a range of emotions. What we associate as being related to one gender or another, it changes all the time. Pleasure is our birthright. You're on these massive doses of steroids. I look like Bert Newton. I wouldn't have been attracted to myself. <laughs> so they were just so happy to know that A, they weren't alone, and B, that this was like a legitimate thing. And that actually sounds really lovely and erotic, really pleasurable. It's a secret. Mind-blowing. Trans and gender diverse people can also experience more direct forms of discrimination. This includes verbal and physical and sexual assault and abuse. To give context here, several quite wide population-level studies have shown, in particular, I'll reference the 2015 US Transgender Survey, which is quite a well-known one, wherein about 46% of respondents reported being verbally harassed in the past year, 47% reported experiencing sexual assault at some point in their lifetime. 10% had been sexually assaulted in the past year, 
which was higher for black respondents and those with disabilities, and 54% reporting some form of intimate partner violence in their lifetime, and this being quite comparable to other surveys. They're not small numbers and many fold higher than what we see in the cisgender community. And then we've got these other struggles when cisgendered people are in positions of power and hold transphobic beliefs or are ignorant and engage in stereotyping and the way that this leads to discriminatory law and policy making. This can be things that range from increasing barriers to healthcare to removing protections at school or in the workplace or perpetuating abuse. This thing called the uh, trans panic defense, which is this legal strategy that attempts to excuse assault and murder from cisgender partners who act violently towards trans and gender diverse people they're in a sexual relationship with when they discover their gender diversity or the current religious discrimination bill that seeks to privilege religious institutional belief systems as an excuse to discriminate against LGBTIQA plus people. When you're experiencing this regular cissexism, discrimination, violence and barriers to healthcare in your life, you naturally have an increased likelihood of mental health disorder. When we look again at that population research, like the 2015 transgender survey, this was about 39% of people who had significant psychological distress or mental health issues compared to about 5% of the cisgender population and 40% who had attempted suicide in their lifetime, which is about nine times higher than the rate of cisgender people. Quite profound impact. So awful to hear. It really sounds like it's the outside world that's causing the issues and nothing really to do with being gender diverse. Absolutely, yeah. For people that want to be supportive, how can we be a good ally? So many ways. Let me try and stick to some key ones. So I think an important one is to do with assumptions. It's this idea of just being vigilant about the assumptions you're making about people. You can't tell someone's gender by looking at them. Just assume that there's going to be trans and gender diverse people at any social gathering you're at. And therefore, try to use inclusive language where possible. Instead of ladies and gentlemen or boys, boys and girls, try, you know, welcome everyone, welcome friends. Or instead of using colloquial terms, collective third person nouns like, hey guys, considering things like, you know, hey peeps, hey gang, or my favourite, you know, hey y'all, something that's a bit more gender inclusive and neutral. I suppose also normalising the use of pronouns, not only asking for them, but offering yours too. It's, it's not offensive, quite the opposite. It's considered very respectful and inclusive of trans and gender diverse people. For me in my private practice work, you know, I usually start my first session with, hi, my name's Pablo and my pronouns are he and they. May I ask your pronouns? And, you know, this gets easier with practice and it costs you nothing. If you prefer, you can also listen to how other close people to the individual genders them so that we can pick up on the pronouns that they might be using. And an important thing to keep in mind here is that if you do accidentally slip up and use the wrong pronouns, which is normal and it happens, apologize quickly and move on. Don't make a big deal out of this because... It places the focus on the transgender and diverse person needing to attend to your discomfort rather than the fact that they've had a hurtful experience happen. Some other tips to be a great ally are things like not asking intrusive questions. This is a good rule of thumb in general, but particularly for trans and gender diverse people, not asking about their real name or their genitals, surgery status, sex life or pre-transition life. You wouldn't feel comfortable with a stranger asking you these things, so don't assume it's okay for you to ask them either. They can cause tremendous anxiety and be aspects of themselves that they just want to move on from. Being cautious of outing transgender and gender diverse people by sharing information about their gender identity with others in your life, remembering that this is a community that has a very high prevalence of violence and discrimination and that you're sharing information about their identity with others can put them at risk of 
violence of losing their job, their housings, their friendships, their families, treating this information with really high respect. You are listening to The Evolution of Intimacy with me, Ella Shannon, a show about sex, relationships, and everything in between. Most of us have not been encouraged or taught how to talk about sex. They are curious. Hang on a sec. I'm a woman. Like, I have needs now. Whole new level of sensation and pleasure. I looked at my yoni before and after and mm. I was like, oh my God. You may experience a range of emotions. What we associate as being related to one gender or another, it changes all the time. Pleasure is our birthright. You're on these massive doses of steroids. I look like Bert Newton. I wouldn't have been attracted to myself. <laughs> so they were just so happy to know that A, they weren't alone, and B, that this was like a legitimate thing. And that actually sounds really lovely and erotic, really pleasurable. It's a secret. Mind blowing. Being vigilant of the way people around you use microaggressions, like dead naming and misgendering, and trying to challenge these and other transphobic rhetoric is really important. If you feel safe and able to do so, this can include calling people out, like correcting them if they misgender someone, or letting them know that their transphobic jokes are not funny and actually hurtful, or calling in, which is this process of patiently and compassionately questioning the sentiment of comments in the hope of helping the person realize that something they've said or asked is quite intrusive and hurtful, such as asking why a joke is funny or why they keep misgendering someone who has shared their pronouns already with them. And, and of course, this should only be undertaken if the person seems safe and you think they may have the insight to understand. In terms of other things that you can do, support inclusivity in your workplace by challenging policies and practices that are not gender inclusive, advocating for things like all gender bathrooms or sanitary items in binary gender bathrooms or advocating for the use of gender inclusive greetings or forms and also getting involved in advocacy efforts. This can be very passive, such as just following and liking social media content from advocacy organizations, or maybe posting something on your own feed, to more direct efforts like educating people in your life and participating in petitions and rallies. So many fabulous ideas. I've heard people say that there's lots of gender diverse and trans kids now, but you know, when I was growing up 20 years ago, that didn't exist. Can you please speak to that for us? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. Like, cultures and societies have always had gender-diverse people. There's the brother boys and sister girls of the Australian First Nations people, the two-spirit American Indian people, the Hijra people of South Asia, and, and so many more across the world. And interestingly, before the late 18th and 19th century, people actually viewed male and female as different forms of the same sex, so unisex in a sense. And it was believed that people had the same sex organs and that the binary sex could only be differentiated by the presence of more heat in males, whereas sort of sex nonconformity was understood as having too much heat or too much cold. But then this thing kind of interestingly happened where the concept of gender emerged in the United States from a practice called eugenics. So eugenics is this process of selective breeding of people in order to get them to display desired heritable characteristics. Eugenics was practiced in a racist context because only white people at the time were believed to have evolved to display a distinction between male and female sexes, which was viewed as one of the ways that white people differentiated themselves from other more savage nations, which was their view at the time. 
time. And so then when the existence of intersex people started to come into research, white intersex people in particular, it really threatened this idea. So this term gender was introduced to justify coercive and medically unnecessary intervention to intersex children's bodies to protect the idea of a sex binary, which was risking collapse because science had started to show that it had no biological basis in the sex binary and that we all actually existed on on sex spectrum. From here on in, sex and gender binary became entrenched as a socio-cultural narrative that was folded into messages that's shared by some of our most influential practices and, and systems historically, things like colonization, medicine, politics, religion, cis-normative culture, to name a few. But interestingly, what we associate as being related to one gender or another, it changes all the time. Like the, the main concept here is that gender is a social construct, which means that we invented the concept at some point in time and that we continue to refine what it means by giving it meaning. We can see evidence of this throughout history. Things like the articles of clothing we wear. High heels were initially worn by men for horseback riding until women adopted the practice and it became associated with femininity. Or the way that makeup has historically been a sign of wealth and nobility in ancient Egyptian, Roman and English cultures until again it became associated with femininity. Or the way that the colour pink was once considered a bold masculine colour and blue a calm feminine colour until some very clever marketing started to say otherwise. But don't be fooled, gender diversity has been around for longer than, than we've been alive. So it's probably more so that now we have better language, we have better awareness, we have better education and protections for gender diverse folk, which means that they feel safer to come out into the world and be themselves in, in a public way. If someone is questioning their gender, what sort of supports are out there to help them understand themselves or yeah, move into that space? so many supports. It really depends where you are on the spectrum of motivation and, and readiness and, and confidence and help seek. I'll try to cover most of it, but I suppose you can always start with looking for accurate information online, preferably written and vetted by gender diverse folk can be one of the least threatening ways to start exploring questions about your own gender identity. We have Australian organisations like TransHub, Transcend, ACON, QLife, like these are all examples of state and national LGBTI QA plus organizations with staff within the community who provide online resources about gender diversity that can be helpful. And then we've got more informal forms of support, which may be people that you already have in your life. If you have gender diverse people in your life, that's a great start because they're the most likely to be safe and understanding. If you have non-gender diverse family and friends, they can be helpful to approach to as long as we have a bit of a sense of historically how they've supported other gender diverse people in their life or maybe their beliefs and views of gender diverse folk with response to media and, and stories and other things that they've come into contact. It's important to keep in mind a few things that even if it's somebody that we're close to and we think will be understanding, if they are cisgender, you know, they may have limits that are created by cisnormativity that prevent them from fully understanding your experience and may make them a bit prone to views that privilege their own cisgender experience, like prioritizing their uncertainty or your risk of being discriminated over what's best for you in terms of your exploration of your gender. And I guess a step up from here can be to start getting into the community and hearing the 
lived experience of other trans and gender diverse folk. There's a couple of ways that you can do this and certainly one form is online communities that exist for gender diverse folk and they can be more in-person communities. So one thing I will say about online communities is to be, it comes with a lot of caveats. There are people of course that troll in that space. It is a very disinhibited and emotional sort of environment at times. So, you know, like some responses may be more logical and critical rather than understanding, which can cause confusion. And they can reflect only one person's lived experience, which may be very different from your own journey. Stepping up from there, there are other in-person support groups and things which can be really valuable because they are designed to be a supportive community. Some of the organisations that I mentioned can offer some of those support communities. For families and friends, you have PFLAG, which is Parents, Family and Friends of Lesbians and Gays, which has support for, for trans and gender diverse people as well. That could be a, a lovely place for the people supporting trans and gender diverse people to, to receive support for their loved ones. And then we move more into formal support territory, which can include things like helpline services. QLife is a good example of an Australia-wide helpline service that is operated by trained volunteers within the LGBTIQA plus community. And then there's other health and advocacy organisations within those communities that can have more professional counselling helplines too. You can always access more generalised helplines, Kids Helpline if you're a young person aged 5 to 25 or, or Lifeline for most ages. But I think it's important to keep in mind that many of the major services will have variable compositions of gender diverse counsellors or that their counsellors will have quite varied training in supporting gender diverse people. And then I suppose lastly, if you're feeling more motivated and ready, you could seek out a face-to-face -face or telehealth in these times. A therapist of some kind, a psychologist, an accredited psychosexual therapist, psychiatrist, counsellor or social worker. And this can be a really helpful way to explore questions you have about your gender identity with someone whose role it is to support you and help you make sense of things. The main tips here would be to read online bios very closely to make sure that person has experience in the space and maybe get some feedback from other people in your life who are gender diverse, if you know any, who might have some suggestions for, for someone that they've worked with or that they're aware of that has experienced sensitivity in this space. So much wonderful information that you've shared with us today, Pablo, and what you shared about the historical examples of gender diversity was fascinating. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. No, you're very welcome. Pleasure to, yeah, pleasure to help. You've been listening to The Evolution of Intimacy with Ella Shannon. We're feeling juicy the whole day. Every desire I could possibly think of. What sort of impact would it have? They want it, they're going to go and get it. They don't think of long-term consequences. Oh, did that feel really nice? Oh, yes, that felt really delicious. Being able to feel good about my body again, that's been a huge thing. All anybody really wants in this world is to feel seen and heard. We actually do have a lot that connects us physically. It's making people feel good. There is a real sense of hopefulness that returns in a relationship. A really beautiful thing. Take that beauty and that calmness and that bliss and that sense of peace out into the world. Thank you for listening and I hope we've inspired you with our juicy conversations on this episode of The Evolution of Intimacy. If you would like to go deeper, you can book a session of relationship counselling, sex therapy or individual counselling via my website. 
I work in person in Cairns, tropical far north Queensland, or I can meet you online anywhere in the world. Or you might prefer to go at your own pace with my 12 lesson relationship and intimacy online course. To book or to listen to previous episodes, visit my website, ellashannon.com, or follow me on the socials at Evolution of Intimacy. Finally, please go to iTunes and write me a quick review if you're feeling kind. Thank you, lovelies, and see you next time. This podcast was produced and recorded in the studios of Cairns FM 89.1.